There was once a man who argued with God. Uh, how do you reckon that turned out? Surprisingly, this actually worked out rather well because a healthy relationship does actually have some conflict in it. Um, have a listen to this little story, and I'll need to, Tim to flick through the, um, the slides to the, to the passage for me. It's a chat between God and Abraham in Genesis 18. So I'm going to start with this story. And Abraham's nephew, Lot, has just moved into the Sodom area. Background you need to know for this one. But it's come to light that Sodom is, well, uh, a special kind of evil, and God's not happy. So here we go. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Then the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation, and all nations on earth will be blessed through him. Uh, next one. For I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that... I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. And the men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Now, it's just interesting, just the start of the story. Did you notice God didn't hide his intentions from Abraham? And he knew Abraham probably wouldn't like what he said. It's one of those situations where I would probably not tell the person because I don't want to have the conflict. But God wasn't like that with him. He had regard for his relationship with Abraham, the love and respect he has for him. And so he said, no, I'm going to let him in, despite the fact that this might cause him to tell me a thing or two. And so we get there. Next, next verse, uh, we get Abraham telling God a thing or two. <laughs> Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Really, God? Essentially is what he says. What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? Did you remember that God, someone spoke to God like that in the Bible? <laughs> I love it. It's a bit cheeky. It's a bit conflicty. He's not afraid to ask about the morality of God's actions, to question the implications of what he's doing. And if he does it well... By asking God if his plan is consistent with his character, well, it seems like this works out pretty good. Oh, in fact, why don't you think about that? Next time you're making a suggestion to someone in, and you're worried it might be a bit conflicting, why don't you do the same thing? Hey, uh, I know you really value integrity, but what you're about to do, like, I want, does, I want, does, that, does that have integrity? Like, are you sure you want to do that thing? You see what Abraham did there? We'll read on and see what God, how God responds. The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham's not, not, not happy. Then Abraham spoke up again. Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I'm nothing but dust and ashes, bit of humility dropped in there, very nice. What if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for the lack of five people? If I find 45 there, God said, I will not destroy it. Now, Abraham's a good haggler. He gets God all the way down to five people at the end of this, right? But do you see the issue? Do you see the, 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 this paradigm here? Abraham is portrayed well. He isn't told, sit down, shut up, and don't ask questions to God. This is, this is a paradigm for other people, an example to follow, an example of God's openness, 
and not avoiding saying things that might raise conflict or not avoiding saying things that might make people question his motives and Abraham's courage and raising conflict in a loving way that's got goodness as the key outcome. I just want to raise for this from you. Conflict is not bad in and of itself. It's not. It's not something to be avoided at all costs. And in healthy relationships, when it's done well, it brings the people together. And it exists in even the best of relationships. So the question for the next slide is, are you a conflict avoider? Will you avoid trouble at all costs? Never put your head up above the parapet. Or are you the bottle it up type who absorbs it all for a while but eventually explodes? Now, don't mistake your anger there for healthy conflict. You're a conflict avoider too. You just got less self-control. Right? Now, look, if any of these are you, and I'm assuming this is, I've got lots of fingers pointing back at me, I'm assuming this is going to be all of us, right? Then tonight is going to be beautiful because this is an area we all need to grow in. And if you said, if you put your head up straight away as soon as I said, are you a conflict avoider, then you have steps to take, brother or sister. If we want to live like Jesus, this could change your life. This could reduce anxiety and improve the quality of your relationships massively, but really ultimately, of course, it could honour Jesus more, which is the point. But if we fail to do this, actually it could go the other way for Soul Church, couldn't it? If we decide tonight, oh, I know that there's something that I really should raise, but even tonight, on that very night, I'm going to practice and train myself to not raise it because I'm too scared. Well, it could push us the other direction. Now, look, the first thing I want to just acknowledge is for some of us, this is incredibly hard. In fact, for some of you, you might think, no, this is impossible. This is, I'm going to hate the next 20 minutes of chat. You know, maybe you've never been shown how to do conflict and you've, or maybe worse, you've only ever seen it done destructively and you think conflict equals injury and hurt and destruction. Or worse, maybe that's what people have done to you. Now, I'm really sorry if that's your story. That sucks. But with Jesus as our model, the, the, the one who was so gentle, he wouldn't, he wouldn't snap a bruised reed or snuff out a smoldering wick and with the Holy Spirit as our source of power tonight, we can move forward along that pathway to godliness and love for each other. We can do that, each of us, wherever we're currently at. So I invite you now to pray for courage and for God's love for, for all of us. Let's pray together for each other as we begin. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus, for his gentleness and yet his strength. Father, we together mourn for those who have been wounded and hurt in conflicts by sin. And we, 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 we are sad for our brothers and sisters who, who right now I just want to run out of the room because this hurts. Father, we just thank you that together we are yours because of the love of Christ that has knitted us together in love. And we pray that together, Lord, we might learn how to do this well so that we might have healthy relationships and we might love each other in the way Jesus intended. We ask it in his name. Amen. Well, there are different types of conflict. Um, it might seem obvious, but this is actually really important because the different types of conflict have different biblical principles that you apply for different situations, right? Uh, that means that, that rightly categorizing the kind of conflict that we're talking about, that we're experiencing, is like really important. 
because if you, there's different principles for different ones. Now, you might need a friend to help you talk it through and work out which one you're experiencing. Maybe it's, a, it's just a bit of a nothing little thing that you think you can put up with it. So it could be this big public disagreement. It could be a cry of the abused, the request to be heard, a rebuke, a whistleblowing, a playful disagreement, a purely intellectual disagreement. All these different things are possible. Which one is it? You know, I mean, at one end of the spectrum, you've got things that are nothings. Um, and Proverbs 19.11 said, A person's wisdom yields patience, so it's one's glory to overlook an offence. It's to your credit to be able to say, you know what? I can handle that one. I can deal with that and just move on. It's bearing one another's burdens, Galatians 6. If you can genuinely let it go and not embitter the relationship, well, then you can forgive and the health of the relationship is fine. That's cool. But what if we wanted to go down to the next one, when you've been hurt, when offence has been caused, when the past keeps coming into your presence so that when you walk into church, oh, that thing that happened in the past is right there and it's making a difference. When you can't trust the person, you're scared and stressed when that person is near, when your behaviour has changed by what's happened. Well, that's a different story with a different prescription. There, we're actually encouraged by Ephesians 4.26 to feel our feelings to be angry and don't sin. See, the, the point of the anger and the feeling the anger is so you stop avoiding the conflict and you face the other person for the purpose of reconciliation. It, it, it's a verse that invites conflict. It pushes us to that Matthew 18 that we had read out for us before, process of going to them to seek reconciliation in love. You see, you, you, you can't not let the sun go down on your anger, which is the next verse in Ephesians, unless you go to the person to sort it out. You can't do that. The encouragement of the Bible has is if you're bringing the past into the present and it's affecting things, you can't just let it go. Deal with it, please. Don't drag it out. Now, I don't think the whole don't let the sun go down in your anger thing is like trying to put a 24-hour statute of limitations on stuff. Like that's not, It's not trying to... Don't, don't freak out if like it gets to, you know, 11, 15, you're like, oh, 10 minutes left or, or you know, or sorry, I guess technically sundown's earlier than that. Anyway, depends if it's summer or not. Um, it's, not, it's about not dragging this out, but getting there fast before things get big. Or awkward. We don't do awkward well. But what if it's a rebuke? Well, similarly, you address the sin quickly. Uh, you, you don't let the sin take hold if you can stop it from doing so. So if you've got someone you know who's caught up in a sin, don't arm and arm for a month and let them get more entrenched in the sin while, while you don't actually say anything. Say, hey, brother, what's going on with that? get to them before it becomes a habit. It doesn't take long to develop a habit. And sin is nasty. Or if it's the cry of the abused. What's the, what's, what's the different flavour if it's, if it's that? You see, the, the situation is very different when we're talking about someone who is in a power differential and who's being abused. There's some differences there. Uh, all through the prophets, I don't know if you've, you've read through the Old Testament prophets, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, God doesn't ask the abused to stand up for themselves he doesn't put sort of, hey, why don't you abused peasant go sit together with this king who has just, you know, killed all your family and stolen your daughters to be his maidservant. So why don't you just have a mediation, you know, man to man, Matthew 18 style. He doesn't say that. He removes the dodgy shepherds and sheps, step, steps in to shepherd his people himself. God recognises the power differential and calls the leaders to account. Now what this means is you don't ask someone in an abuse scenario to give the abuser a fair go. And nor will, nor will our elders, if that's a situation that we come across. 
You know, if someone, someone has, I've heard this said to people, you know, why didn't, you, why didn't you do the Matthew 18 thing? If you haven't talked to them personally first, you haven't been godly. <laughs> well, the Bible has more complex ethics than simply that one avenue. No, if that's a situation where someone's being hurt, you just get them out of there and get them safe to start with. Then, then we can start to work out some more nuanced ways to uncover more truth and work out what's going on. Similarly, if you blow a whistle, number five, you're a whistleblower, you're going to need to be careful. Uh, you know who was whistleblowing in the Old Testament? Prophets. Jesus. You know what happens to them? They get killed. All right? Tough gig. Be wise. <laughs> be very smart. It's dangerous. Get counsel about how to go about doing that. Get some support. First of all, so that the concern actually gets heard, this isn't just for your own safety, because if, if you, you go in there and you try and sort of blow a whistle, but, but you, you don't actually have help and support in doing it, you, you could actually just get dead and buried yourself and then the, 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 the concern not actually be heard. And, and secondly, so that you're as protected as possible, get some support and counsel and wisdom. But also, again, be willing to suffer to heal a toxic system. Uh, Christians believe in the resurrection, Right? If Jesus really rose from the dead, then we're indestructible. If, 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 there's no, if, if, if of all the people in the world, Christians can't speak the truth to power, surely it's got to be us. We know, we, we know we're going to live again forever. Surely it's got to be us who can speak truth to power. We should blow whistles. <laughs> Last one, I mean, purely intellectual argument. <laughs> you ever had one of them? Ever had people be a little angry after one? People's egos are at play, right? People can be competitive. So when you're doing that, play the ball, not the man. Care about the truth. Don't care about being right. Don't care about you having the truth. Just care about the truth itself. Concede ground to the other person. Highlight when they're correct. In fact, here's, here's the holy grail of engaging in an intellectual disagreement. Now, this is not the scriptures, but I think this is the spirit of grace. Love them by arguing for them first. This is the trick, right? Listen to the other person so well. Like, like get their argument and why it makes sense to them and why it matters to them and why it's so convincing from their point of view so that you can restate their argument so well that they're like, whoa, yeah, I wish I could say it that good. That's exactly right. That's exactly what I wanted to say. And that's going to do two things. First thing, it's the intellectual's version of love where you get their ideas, right? It says, your thoughts matter to me. I'm going to honour them and respect them and treat them as if they're important and worth honouring. That's, that's the intellectual's version of empathy, right? <laughs> and so they will be enabled to then hear your ideas because they know that you've respected theirs. Then it's also so that you'll actually genuinely understand them so that when you put up a critique, you're putting up a critique of their actual ideas and you don't look stupid. Um, and you're not arguing as some weaker version of their argument, and thus you will have integrity because you're actually going to be arguing against the true thing. So you're not just beating, beating up a, a weaker version of their argument. See, there's just a few thoughts that, that, that are sort of godliness brought into practice when you understand the type of conflict that you're in, because when you understand that the type of conflict you're in changes the advice that Scripture has for that conflict. Okay? Now, just on this last one, though, be aware that for you, for you, the conflict might be purely intellectual and innocuous, but for the other person, it may and probably is far more personal. So try to discern what conflict type it is for you, 
but also stop and just have your eyes open to this other person. What type of conflict is it for them? In fact, maybe you didn't realise it, but maybe you're the powerful person. And maybe they are in a power differential situation that you didn't even think of and realise because you're just like, oh, no, we're just, I'm just talking. There's no, we're just friends. There's no problem here. But maybe you're taller, bigger, stronger, or in their eyes, some of those things. So just, just be thinking, not just for you, but for them as well. All right. All we're going to do is we're going to pick up um, three different things. We're going to prepare ourselves for conflict um, in three different ways, before, during, and after conflict. I've got th four ones for beforehand. First one is, and Tim's going to flick it forward, um, is win, set your mind that what your plan is to do is to win a person, not an argument. Right? That's your objective, isn't it? I mean, what is, what is God, what is, particularly with, with brother and sister Christians, I mean, what does God want? What's God's big plan? What's his objective at the end of the day? He wants a holy people. A holy people. So a holy, yes, pure, right, good, truth, sorted out. But a holy unity, people, a set of relationships together. We want connection at the end of the day. That honours Jesus because he's our head and our boss and we're brothers and sisters. This is why forgiveness was so very, very crucially important in that Bible reading. Did you notice just how heavily crucially important it was in that Bible reading? Make sure that your approach from the very start, you get your mindset to win the person, not the argument. Secondly, uh, along the line, similar lines to, to Paul's thought in the sense of assume that you don't know the whole story. Proverbs 18, 17 says, the first one to state his case always seems right until the other person comes to cross-examine them. And, and that's what happens. You only know your half of the story. You are always the first person, and so you'll always feel right. But you don't know everything. There's things you're missing. So it's also good for not, if you're a worrier, are you one of those people who like, like for some of us, it's so easy to worry and then construct, oh, this is probably what happened. Oh, and there's probably that. Oh, and then I bet she's thinking this and blah, 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 do that. You only know this much of the data. Don't sit there and worry and construct something that you're going to have to then deconstruct in a minute once you actually have a conversation and hear what, hear what they're really thinking. Okay? Assume you don't know the whole story. Uh, thirdly, assume... Well, see, this is the thing. Because, because grace is the Christian default stance, you have to assume that people are stupid. Right? This is, this is the gracious thing to do. Assume that people are stupid before you assume that they're out to get you. Okay? That's actually a gracious thing to do. Assume incompetence before conspiracy. It's easy to get caught up in thinking, oh, people don't like me or whatever, trying to take me down. That's possible, but they probably just stuffed up. Okay? At least give them that grace. And lastly, assume that the incompetence might be yours, by the way. <laughs> uh, on the topic of stupidity, this is, this is where Paul was going. Like, uh, but, don't, but just because you assume, might assume, hey, maybe I stuffed up in this. Don't let that stop you doing the conflict. Go into the conflict and then say, oh, now I realise it was my mistake. Great, do, still do the conflict. Um, last one, remember the warping power of sin before you get in there. And one of the great verses on preparing well for conflict, one of the great verses of the Bible is Matthew 7, 3 to 5. You'll know this one as soon as I say it. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, why is that so good? Not just because it tells us don't be hypocrites, which is a good thing not to be, but because it reminds us that we've got vision problems caused by sin. You can't, it's not just that you, oh, it's, it'd be unfair for you to rebuke that person for their sin when you've got the thing. It's because you can't see clearly. 
It's warping. Your sin will warp your perception of a situation. Assume that your, percepti- that your perception of a situation isn't quite right because you have sin. We all do. So maybe a, a thing to do when you're thinking about preparing for conflict is, what is it that they've done that makes me angry? And then work out if part of your anger is actually from my week that I've just had, my mum just said something dumb to me, my, my, my kids got me angry, like all these other things. They might, maybe there's more to the story than just this one thing. And a whole bunch of your anger could get poured out here when some of the frustration comes from a whole bunch of other wells. Um, I'm going to throw a few up there, just three. Um, in your anger, in your hurt, do not sin. Now emphasizing the do not sin part of that, that thing, right? Emotions are powerful, but in Christ, we have been given the Holy Spirit who produces in us self-control and our feelings are not to be our masters. He made me angry. She made me angry is not an excuse for any lashing out ever. Okay? We remain responsible for our actions. One of the best ways to make sure that that happens, by the way, is actually to get a neutral third party and, and talk to them first Feel your feelings with someone else first. If you're worried you're going to lash out in a conversation, be there with someone else and just go, but this makes me crazy. And you get all of that out early so that then you can actually go and be with this other person and you've felt the feelings, you've acknowledged them, you've prayed about them, prayed to God about them and you can actually just face them. And because the thing is, the be angry part is important, but, but the, bringing in the other parts of Scripture, know that anger is going to play you for a fool, right? Like uh, uh, the, the anger does not bring about the righteous life that God requires, James 5. You know, um, uh, use your holy anger about the disconnection between you and your brother to drive you to go and sort out the relationship, but then don't vent the anger there in order to get vengeance in that situation. Okay? So you've got to work out a way to share your thoughts without weaponizing them. Now, uh, there's a t- tip for doing this, a way to sharing your thoughts without weaponizing them. And this is the we, when you, then I. It's like some people have done something similar in assertiveness training, right? It's a bit dumb, but it's, it's, it's actually kind of helpful. When you do X, when you did X, sorry, when you did X in situation Y, I felt Z. When you did X in situation Y, I felt Z. This enables you to label the behavior of the other person specifically and accurately. When you said, you just say the words that they said. You don't need to interpret. Nothing, just factual. Then you label a scenario in which this happened. When this, this, this was going on. And then you say how, how you felt. I felt this. This is the effect it had on me. You're just labeling facts. And you're giving them the opportunity, if they care about the fact that it made you feel like that, to say, oh, it made you feel like that. They don't even have to admit that they did anything wrong. They can just care about the fact that you felt like that. Oh, so it made you feel like that. I totally didn't mean it to make you feel like that at all, but it did. Oh, okay. And then it's a really nicely disarming way of engaging. It states truth and invites love. So consider that when you did this, in this situation, I felt that. When you left the toilet seat up yesterday morning when I was late for work, I felt frustrated and unloved. That's not, that's, not, that's not from my home life. It's okay. <laughs> Third one, listen in order to love. When you're in the conflict situation, when you're sharing, uh, what's most likely going to come back to you is how the other person felt, right? So you start by saying, hey, when, I did, when you did this, 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 I felt this. They're going to be like, well, I felt like this. 
You see, you might have been hoping for them to listen to and engage with what you said, but maybe what you get back is them telling you all about their frustration. Now, you might need to grab what you've just said, right? And say, oh man, I was hoping they'd listen, but park it over here and then listen to them. Not in order to have the points to score back or the extra ball to hit back, you know, or the other arguments win, but in order to love them. What was going on for them? Why, why did they feel like they were right? Why did they feel like I'd done the wrong thing? When you care at that point, when you care about how it was for them, that is love. That is grace. Because we don't want to be right. We want to win a person. And that means we can spend a few moments of, of doing the job of caring for them and how it made them feel before we get back to our stuff. You don't have to forget about your stuff. You've, you've, you've memorized it in your, when you did this, in this situation, this, I felt this. You can go back to that anytime. But, but you can spend a moment saying, wow, so from your perspective, it seemed like I was the one being snarky and impatient. Right, oh, well, that doesn't sound like fun. That sounds really hard for you. I'm like, yeah, no, it was. See, if you're the first to care, you're the first to bring love into the situation. If you attend to their story, people can't resist being loved. By your good example, you might then invite them into caring about your side of the story afterwards in the same way. All right, we're going to go into the third one after the conflict. Um, first one, don't sit in God's seat. Um, it's we after reconciliation, not revenge. So now you feel like you've, they've heard you and you've won the argument. You're like, hey, well, now I can you know, take vengeance. No, 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 that's, that's not the point. Forgiveness, remember? Forgiveness, because we have been forgiven much. Um, second one, their change is not your goal. This is a really helpful one, actually. Sometimes when we go into conflict, you can think, okay, my objective is, my goal, what I want to achieve is them acting this way now from now on. <laughs> you have, can I just tell you, you've got zero chance of being in control of that. It's not possible. Who can you control? Right? You're responsible for you. This is the thing. You can have a desire that someone else will not behave in a certain way, but you can't make it your objective that they will do so or you will just get frustrated. Don't touch things that are outside our responsibility. Take control of ourselves. That's what we can control. And so we, we take this step, correctly identify what's our responsibility, what's their responsibility, and then fulfill ours, and that will actually solve many, many problems. Be wary of uh, making their change your goal. Um, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do any more on receiving rebuke um, because that's a whole other talk. I, you know, we're just gonna have to stop. Stop at that point. There's a bunch of things that we could say about that. Um, but uh, apologising and owning your actions and taking responsibility for yours is something we've already touched on. Look, the one a question that I got out of this is because what are you gonna do? Um, you know, who do you need to raise something with? I, I'm sure it's been bubbling away for you. Who is it? Who do you feel like you need to raise something with? to sort it out, to bring yourselves together. It might be the elders of Soul Church. We might have a sorry to say to you. It might be me. I might have wronged you. you know, it's easy when, when words are many and I say a lot of words, uh, sin is not absent. Maybe grab an elder as a support person or even, even a minister from another congregation. Give me a call. Come to me and, 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 and tell me where I've wronged you so that I can actually say sorry and we can be reconciled. Please. Who is it that you want to raise something with? See, soon we're going to sing, right? And then we're going to share in the Lord's Supper as this holy people. And in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew 5, Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. 
First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Right? Now, the Lord's Supper isn't exactly going to the altar, but it's about the closest thing to offering a sacrifice that the New Testament Christians have. If you know of something outstanding that your brother or sister here has against you, I want you to seriously consider taking a moment somewhere between now and the Lord's Supper to go to them and apologise. Not in detail, I just say, I've got, a, I've got an apology I want to say to you. Or if it's a serious matter, maybe even abstain from the Lord's Supper tonight. Just refuse to take partake until such a time as you've been reconciled to your brother or sister for whom Christ died. Not because you're not a Christian until that point, you're outside the family, uh, but because you want to uh, uh, share with them and, and, and by your actions show that their fellowship with you is so vitally important and their fellowship together with us is so vitally important that, that you would actually not partake of the Lord's Supper until that's restored and reconciled. See, this tonight could produce so much good. If, if, if we work hard, and the, the fruits of tonight could produce so much good, if we work at resilience in relationships, healing wounds. One last little thing. How do we do this? How do we do this? What's the fuel and the model of love? See, for some of this is incredibly hard. Like I said before, in fact, impossible to think of raising conflict. How do you do it? Well, I think of Jesus. See, I think of Jesus in the garden. Jesus wasn't just like about to go climb a mountain and do something hard. Jesus was about to go into conflict with his father. I don't know if you've thought of it that way, the cross. He was about to go and face his father's wrath. Unfairly. When you think of yourself going into an unfair conflict. He was walking into a situation where he was going to get treated by his father, who he's only ever known perfect love from for, for eternity, to be, to be treated as if he was all of humanity's hubris, all of humanity's awfulness back to God. And he was going to face that conflict and the awfulness of it. And he did. How did he do it? Well, there's so many places we could go here, but just, just one little verse from Hebrews 12, verse 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter, the finisher of our faith, who for the joy before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy before him. So he got to sit down at the right hand of God, looking down at his gathered people, the church, and for the joy of being together with us and with his Father in heaven. He could go through the hard thing. Look forward to the joy. Yeah, the joy of being with, you know, Evie and Josie. The joy, the joy of being together with someone who was once not reconciled to you. For, for the joy of being with your, your heavenly Father in heaven. For the joy of that. Be willing to face just that next step of conflict, a little bit more than what you can now. I pray for us that we might be willing to do that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. He is the, the, the starter and the finisher of our faith. And yet, Lord, as we try and be like him, as we try and gather up the courage to be like him, Father, we ask that you would just fill our minds and our heads with the greatness of what he did in facing that conflict with you for us. Father, we just, we just ask that you would give us his courage and, and that anticipation of joy on the other side of it. 
that we'd be willing to emulate him despite our fears, that we'd be able to help each other to do it so that, Lord, the church may be more beautiful, more beautifully prepared for you on the last day. We pray that for our church, please. In Jesus' name, amen.